you've got your Bibles, let's turn to Second Peter and continue to walk through this this book that has been really just such an encouraging uh, book and be good for us, uh, those of us who are here and those of us who are sick, as there is sickness just moving through everybody. I'm glad we were able to make it today, uh, at least through my family. Um, but just to remind us where we are in Second Peter, because we're moving now into this new section, uh, sort of, sort of past this list. So, so just in Second Peter, so far, God has saved us. He's given us everything we need to live a a Godward life, uh, uh, and so we need to get these tools, these fruits, to work and to do so quickly. We saw last week just how often Peter repeated that phrase um, speedily quickly, hastily, that even he's speedily getting to work uh, because it's so important. And so we saw uh, we need excellence, knowledge, discipline, faithful endurance, godwardness, family affection, love, those, that list of things. Uh, Why? Because those things, if you don't have them, if you don't have those things, it, it would mean you didn't know God. You didn't understand even the whole purpose of being saved from your sins. And if you do have those things and they are in your life and are increasing, those fruits are your assurance, uh, an assurance to you that uh, proof, at least that you're on your way to the kingdom uh, that your your heart is already a part of, and and we need to be we need to be stirred up, and so he's stirring these people up by reminding them of these things, reminding them of this list. He says, "Look, I already know you know these things, and I, I'm assuming you've got these things, but I want to remind you of just how important they are. That that by remembering, by having these things so ingrained in our hearts and in our heads, that we can recall them at any time, that we never forget these things." Now, why is it so important to be stirred up, to be awakened? Why is it so important that they remember, that they remember what they've been taught, what they know the Christian life to be? Why is that so essential? Because what we know, what we need to remember is not made up. And why is it so essential to remember? Because the stuff you've been taught is not stuff that people just made up. It's not just a man-made thing that we believe, that he's reminding them. It's like, I'm not just reminding you what I taught you. I'm, go- I'm reminding you what I-, I saw and what was given by the Lord. It comes from God, and he's going to say, going into chapter 3 uh, or chapter 2, and if you don't know it, it's going to be a problem because you'll fall prey to the new ideas of false teachers. It's going to be essential that you always remember what you know because, one, what you know is not just something people made up. It comes from God. And two, knowing what you're supposed to know is going to protect you when false teachers come in and try and say something new. If someone comes in and says, hey, this, and you're like, I've never heard that before. Uh, and it's, and they're not pointing you to God's word. Uh, we're not talking about you growing in your Christian faith. Uh, we're just talking about someone like, hey, you know what? I've got this neat little idea. He says, if you don't know what you should know, if you don't remember, if you're not able to recall these at all times, then when someone says something, if a false teacher says something that is new or innovative or different, you might go, oh, that sounds pretty good. I like that. Uh, because you won't know that's not what you have always been taught. So let's see this. Let's see this danger. Let's read Second Peter chapter 1. We'll actually read from verse 16 down to chapter 2, verse 3. You could really start in verse 16 and read all the way to the end of chapter 2, but we won't do that. 
let's stand in the honor of God's word. Get kind of just an idea of what this first section is about. And then today we're just going to look at verse 16. That's going to do verse 16. But beginning in verse 16, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false teachers also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Uh, Let's pray. Father, as we come remembering why it's so important that we know these things and why are we reminded of these truths? Why why is it so essential that these fruits be in our lives and we live for you? Remember that these things come uh, not from human thought or will, uh, but from you. This is our God telling us how we're supposed to live. And so, God, I pray that as we're hearing your word and looking at it today, that we'll have that confidence in your word and that we'll also see the danger that comes if we don't know it, Uh, that false teachers have always come. Uh, They came in before, they came in during the time of Peter's writing, and they'll come in today. And if we don't know the truth, then we won't know that their teaching is false. Uh, So, Father, prepare us uh, by planting your word deep in our hearts. Uh, May we remember these things so that we can recall them at all times. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So we'll start out uh, by seeing seeing this. We'll look at verse 16. uh, By seeing that what we've believed is not just some man-made legend but is from God himself. So this week we'll look at following what we know to be true. Okay. For the Christian, we're going to be following what we know is true. What we know is not true, but to steal from Zachary on Wednesday nights, who stole from Jesus in John 17, we know it to be the truth. Now what you're following is not just true. The word of God is not just true. The word of God is truth. And there's a, there's a difference there. In fact, there's a difference in the Greek there that we could talk about at some other time. That uh, it is not just that God's word is true. It is you're following what is truth. You're following the truth. Look at what he says in verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That's what we're going to look at today. So he comes in, he says, look, it's, it's not, so for us and for them, it's not new 
for people to say that the Bible or Christianity is, is, just, a, is just a man-made religion. It's not new, and it's not unexpected. In fact, it's, it's not even crazy. Why? Because the world is full of man-made religions. The world is full of people hearing things that are cleverly devised myths. So for them, what's one more? But Peter's saying, but this is not that. Christianity is not just another one of those things. It's, it's different. Because it is not a myth. And he, says, he starts out, look at what he says. He says, for we did not follow. And, and let, let's stop there because that's, that's an interesting word. So I want to talk about that for a second. The word, the word follow there is, is a word only found in Second Peter in Scripture. Uh, unless you're looking in the Septuagint. But it's only found in Second Peter. It's a combination. It's an interesting word picture. I love pictures in words. Um, it's a combination of the word out and the word uh, that would mean like on the road, out on the road or out on the way or out on the path. It's where, it's, it's, it's where we get the word a follower. An, you ever heard the word acolyte? Someone's an acolyte. Uh, that, well, you should read more science fiction. Uh, <laughs> should read more Tolkien. No, uh, this, this, is, this is where we get uh, that, that word. The picture is, he's saying that we, as the disciples, we didn't take off on some road. We didn't follow the path that just some man laid out for us. We're not just out on the road following in our lives, get, you know, on the road that someone else just made up. A map that someone drew hastily in the sand. He's saying, we're not just following some man-made story. And I think it's important that we remember or that we know that your life is following something. Your life is following either the path that God has. You're out on. No, no one is at home. Everyone is on the road. Everyone's life is following directions from somewhere. You're either following the directions like Peter said laid out by God or your life is following some man-made path for life, some man-made map. Maybe it's some man-made map that you read in a book or saw on TV or maybe it's just a path that you're just kind of making up as you go. You're just kind of hacking away through the woods of your life and I'm sure I'm going to be fine. But you're following, you're on the road, you're on a path based on something. Something is guiding you. Something is driving you. You are, you are going out in your life and living your life based on some set of beliefs that you got from somewhere. And you are following those. You're listening to them. You're doing it. It's, it's those that determines how you raise your kids, what you do or don't do in the home. It determines what your marriage looks like. It determines everything, how you conduct yourself at your job. The question isn't, are you following something or not? The question is, what are you following? That's what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, we're, we're out here on the road, but we're not, we're not just following some man-made story here. We haven't given our lives in devotion, following the path. of something that just people made up. But you're following something. So the question is, what are you following? And if it's not the Bible... If it's not God, then what you're following will lead you down the wrong path eventually. It's not going to lead you down the wrong path eventually. It's just going to be eventually that you realize you're on the wrong path. 
It's been the wrong path the whole time. But sometimes you don't realize it's the wrong path till you get to, you ever been doing that in the woods? I don't know if anybody, you know, you see stories of the woods and people getting lost in the woods and you go, that'll never happen to me. And then you go out in the woods and it starts to get dark and the sun's gone. You can't really see things. And next thing you know, you go, I have no idea where I'm at. Like I remember, I've, I mean, been down to Mr. Jackson's down by the river probably a hundred times. I remember one time I was trailing a, a hog and I thought, Okay, the river's there. I'll just follow it for a little bit. It's getting dark. I'll just follow it for a little bit. And I couldn't find it. And so I thought, okay, I better go back because it's really starting to get dark. And I turned around and I was like, where am I? How did I get here? And, And I realized that in the light, oh, all of this stuff is so clear. I was totally lost. But in our lives, sometimes that's exactly what we do. We think I'll just kind of break off through the woods here. And kind of do what I want to do, like we're some sort of Lewis and Clark of our life, just blazing a trail through this life, and it'll lead me wherever it leads me. But we're on the wrong path the whole time. The only way to be on the right path is to follow the guidance of the one who made the path, who made the world in which you live. The only one who who gave you life and created this world and created it to work a certain way, you're either following him or you're following a path that you made up or someone else did. And it's not that it will lead you down the wrong path. It's the wrong path the whole time. And so we can't just be like, oh, well, everything seems to be going fine. It seems to be going fine. It seems to be going fine. Look, you're either on the path following the Lord or you're on the wrong path. And the consequences of that may not be obvious today, but, but they will be obvious someday, even if that someday is eternity, which would be the worst thing that could happen to you which would be to be on the wrong path and nothing bad ever happened to you for you to see the consequences of that. Sometimes we, we talk about, oh man, I, I really hate that these consequences happen. Sometimes consequences are the greatest grace of God. Because we would keep on that path if it didn't become so obvious that this path is not leading to my happiness and joy, but to my destruction. So where did I get off of God's path? Or how do I get on to God's path? But I've got to get off this path. So look at your life and say, what am I following? If I looked at my life and I said, I'm on a path, I'm on a road, like Peter said, I am following this direction, who's guiding your life? Who? Is it God's word? Is it God or is it you? And you can, it's, it's really not, it's not a difficult answer to that. One, the, as a believer, the Holy Spirit will convict you of if it's you or not, or if it's God. And the other is, if you can look at anything in your life and say, what scripture's guiding how I do this? And you can't think of any scripture guiding it? Then you need to go, well, apparently I at least need to look into this. Because maybe scripture's guiding it and I'm just, I just don't know the scripture, but I've been taught it. And so by God's grace, I know as a husband, I need to be this. And as a father, I need to be this. But look, if you can't think of how the Bible is guiding your life in particular areas, what you do as a husband, a a wife, a father, a mother, how how you are at work, whatever it is. If you can't think of what scripture is guiding that, then you, you, need to, you need to look and see if you're on the right path. You need to run and say, like, look, what, what is guiding me? Is it God's word or is it not? What am I following? Because uh, we, can't, we can't just say we're following the Bible because everyone would say that, right? It's not enough to say you believe the Bible. The question is, are you following it? And that's going to be important because a lot of times this passage is just used to talk about how you need to believe that the Bible is God's word. 
But I think what Peter is saying is if the Bible is God's word, then you'll be following it. It won't just be a matter of those people don't think the Bible is God's word. The thing that will differentiate you from the world is not that you say the Bible is God's word. The thing that will differentiate you from the world is that you're living like the Bible is God's word. So he says, look, Christianity is not this cleverly devised myth. We're following something. And he said, Peter says, what we're following and what we're calling you to follow is not just a man-made story. It's not just a myth. He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths. The word there for myth is a word that comes from shutting of the mouth. It's like something that you say in a whisper, like a whispered something, like a secret. It's a secret thing. Peter is going to to warn them about myths later on in in his letter. It's the false teachers who are making up whispered things, special little truths, special little insights that they have, that they've gotten, right? Let me tell you a secret. These false teachers are like, I've got this secret. I've learned this special truth and you need to follow this. Peter's saying, that's not what we did. We're not coming with some man-made secret truth. We're not coming with some shut the mouth, whisper in your ear truth that only we have. And you have to, you know, just give a small percentage of your funds to us and we'll tell you about it. Now, other religions, what's interesting is if you look at other religions, all the other religions are founded on that. Are founded on myths like that, special truths that someone has gotten. Look at, for example, uh, Islam. Muhammad, what was he? He was told, he was told that the, the way that Christianity, Christianity had perverted true religion and God had told Muhammad what really, what, God, what he had really said, right? Or Mormonism, right? Again, almost the same thing where, well, we know we've got the Bible, but the Bible's been corrupted But I, Joseph Smith or Muhammad, I, Joseph Smith, had God tell me a special thing. Or Buddha. Or Hinduism. It's all based on secret whispers that people have received themselves. And and they, they now know. But Peter's saying the Bible's not like that. He says, when we, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we told you about the power of Christ and, and his coming, probably referring to the second coming of Christ, uh, for those of you keeping Greek notes, which I'm sure is all of you, uh, literally it says there the powerful coming of Christ. So we kind of at the end uh but but i think more purpose the powerful coming of christ which we're going to see the false teachers were denying we get into chapter three verses three and four the false teachers are denying that christ is going to return like this so peter's saying when we told you that christ is going to return that he's going to do so in power that wasn't just a myth that wasn't something we just made up Now, these false teachers, they were faking intellectualism. They were, it's going to say, scoffing at the believers for for believing that Christ was going to return. Scoffing. And that that is not any different than what you see today with regards to Scripture, is it? Scoffing. And, oh, can't believe you believe that. 
can't believe you think that's the truth. People have always been scoffing at God's word because it's just another way to try and deny it. It's to try and be a fool and yet pretend to be wise. And so he says, look, we, we, didn't, we didn't just make this stuff up when we told you that Christ was going to come and he was going to return in power. We didn't make that up. What does he say? But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They didn't make this up. They're just relaying what they saw and what they heard. And, and what's interesting is you see the same idea in a lot of places in the New Testament. We're just telling you what we saw. We're just telling you what you, for example, the beginning of 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which is with the father and was made manifest to us. We saw it. We, we, we heard it. We touched it. Those words are actually building on themselves. We handled it with our hands. But it's not just Peter. It's not just John. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. To say, look, we were eyewitnesses to this stuff. He says, for I delivered to you as in first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So even Paul is coming, look, saying, I'm not making this up. We saw this. And Paul says, and not just me, but here's a list of other people too that Christ appeared to. We are eyewitnesses to his power, to his majesty. We're not just following this guy because we had nothing else to do. How about Luke's gospel? Same thing. The Bible is not afraid of saying, look, we saw these things. So Luke chapter 1 Beginning in, in verse 1 through verse 4, he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. That seems very Petrine, which could be very Petrine since it's the Gospel of Luke. Uh, but Luke says he's collecting these accounts, but these accounts from who? He says, I'm collecting these accounts from eyewitnesses for you, O Theophilus, lover of God. Great name, in case you're naming children anytime soon. He says, I'm, I'm gathering this so you may be certain that these things, these things what? These things that you've been taught, that these things that you've been taught, you may have certainty about. 
So in Luke, you get passages like Luke chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, where it says this, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. This, you see the difference there? This is not once upon a time type stuff, is it? This isn't a long time ago. This happened. This is precision. This is verifiable. This is him pulling out historical facts and saying, and not just verifiable, but if it's verifiable, then it's also what? Refutable. Meaning if if Luke had written this and those things weren't true, the people reading this could say, that's not who was governor at that time. And that's not, that was the guy wasn't reigning. And I was there during that time. And that never happened. I mean, when you're making up a story, you don't put dates on it, right? You don't say, this is exactly when it happened. If you're making it up, you say, I saw a friend post this on Facebook. And so I'm going to copy it and post it as well. Uh, or you just say, you know, and who is the one that always started that channel 13 news. You ever notice that? Like channel 13, where it never says journal channel 13 in, in, in Abilene is the one who posted this story. It's just like channel 13. Why could be anywhere. Yeah. Cause it's from nowhere. Uh, cause it's just made up and someone just wants to get shares on their Facebook account so they can sell it and start making money off of it, and you, you help them. Uh, but, you know, that's what you do if you're making up something. But if you're telling the truth and you say, this is the year that happened, here's who were there, here are their names, here's what they saw. Go. Test it. Test it. Try it. See if it's true. And what's funny is it would have been easy for anybody during that time to have looked at it and said, that never happened. But you know what happens? The first century, you get opponents to Christianity. But you know what none of them say? That never happened. You know what they do say? So you get, you get opponents to Christianity. And what they do is they don't, they don't say things like, that never happened. You get these opponents to Christianity, these rabbis and whatnot. They don't deny these things. What they do is in their refutations, they don't say that never occurred. They just say, Jesus was a magician. Jesus was a sorcerer. Now, do you notice the importance of that? The people there who were enemies of Christianity couldn't say, that never took place. They had to admit, okay, that happened. But why? Because he's a magician. You know, not because he's the savior of the world. He's just really good with magic which is what they did during the life of Christ too, right? You cast out demons by the power of Beelzebub. I mean, they can't deny these things are taking place. That's why it's funny that Christianity in the Bible is often given this sort of anti-intellectual vibe, as if it's just this fable that we're silly to believe because the Bible comes and says, if you think I'm not intellectual, you think I'm not true, test me. Test me. It's full of people saying, we saw these things. I mean, think about what we just looked at. I mean, when, when the Bible was written, when these letters, these books were written, these, when these eyewitnesses accounts are put down, all these people were still alive. When you could meet Peter, 
You could test his account. You could test the Bible. I mean, and the Bible wants you to do that, right? Remember what we saw in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 6? When it says that he appeared to more than 500. And then it says something funny after that. What does it say? Many of whom or most of whom are still alive. Why is that there? Why is that there? Because it's saying, go and ask them. Most of you, like, you don't believe me? He appeared to 500. Most of them are still alive. Some of them have died. Puts that in there. Like, some of them have died. Not all of them are still alive. You know, Gertrude was 98 when it happened, and she went down quick after that. But not all of them. Most of them are still alive. And so you could go and you could ask them. You could see if it was what was taking place. You could see if that was what actually happened. It's so humorous that when the Bible is talked about uh, like it's a myth, that it's got to be a myth just because all the other religions are. Right? I mean, I mean, all... You got you to gotta, you gotta give it to them. And that, yeah, every other religion is a myth. They all are made up. But that doesn't mean Christianity is. That'd be like saying two plus two can't be four because nothing else is four. Right? It just doesn't make sense. I mean, it, just because Christianity is true and all these other, just because all these others are false doesn't mean Christianity is false. In fact, Christianity is the one true religion that comes from God himself. But for today, in this, let's play their game, okay? Let's just, let's treat the Bible as if it were simply a historical document. Like every other, this is where you're going to see that the fool who denies the Bible is willingly being foolish. Willingly. Take, for example, let's compare the life of Christ with other things that people do not deny. That people praise, that people talk about. That you'll study in college and people will look at the wisdom of these documents and things and, and say, wow, uh, in this, in this neat. Let's take, for example, the life of Julius Caesar. Now, no one doubts Caesar's existence, right? I mean, he's got his own salad dressing. Right? No one deni- de- denies Julius Caesar. But what's, what's funny is the, the earliest accounts we have that Caesar lived, was written by someone more than a century after Caesar died. Not written by eyewitnesses, but by historians. So the first account of this is Julius Caesar, this was written by a historian a hundred years after Julius Caesar died. But this is where it gets tricky. Because that historian that wrote that work a hundred years after Julius Caesar died, we don't have any copies of that guy's, of that guy's work until about a thousand years later. So he wrote this, but then all those copies were gone. We don't find any copies of that work until almost a thousand years after that guy wrote them. A thousand years after the life of Julius Caesar. Caesar lived about 100 B.C., so for the life of Julius Caesar, to, you know, Julius Caesar, which no one denies, right? No one's marching around college campuses saying, we deny the existence of Caesar. I can't believe you believe, you know, going up to history classes. I heard they're teaching about Julius Caesar in there. That stuff's not even true. So for the, but for the life of Caesar, realize we're relying on someone copying down a thousand years later 
what a guy wrote a hundred years after Caesar died. And that's what we're taking as verifiable fact. And what's funny is that's, that's normal for historical books. These books that people love. On average, there's a thousand years between when the events happened and when the earliest manuscripts or writings start to appear. So, for example, Plato. Plato lived 400 B.C. The earliest copies we have of anything Plato wrote is 900 A.D. That's 1,300 years after Plato died. And you know how many copies there are from about 900 A.D.? Seven. About seven copies. And yet no one reads that and goes, golly, this is 1,300 years after Plato. Are we sure Plato wrote any of this? I mean, how do we know this guy didn't just make it up and say Plato wrote it? Well, we don't. Or Aristotle. Aristotle, uh, 300 B.C. The earliest copy of any of his stuff is 1100 A.D. Again, now we're looking at 1400 years after the guy lived. Copies of his work, 49. 49 copies of what this guy might have written 1400 years ago. And yet when you go to a history class... That's not what your history teacher is telling you. They're not saying, now we're going to study Plato, but I'll be honest, we've got no idea if this is what he wrote, right? No one's like, let's talk about platonic thought or what we think might have been. Let's talk about Aristotelian logic or what we think Aristotle might have thought. No one does that. Even, even, okay, so one of the best historical sources, historical documents is Homer's Iliad, right? The Odyssey and whatnot. So, so consider that this is like the prime historical document. It was written, the earliest copy we have was written 500 years after Homer died. The earliest copy, 500 years after he died. And, and that's the best. And, and, and better, I mean, that is, that is good, right? That's half of the normal time. 500 years, normally it's 1,000 years from the time the guy died before you get any copies of what he wrote. And, and in terms of the number of copies, we've got 643 copies of Homer's Iliad. And you're like, man, that, that's blowing Plato out of the water, right? Plato had seven, right? Caesar had seven. And those are all considered classical works of literature that people study. You can, you can, take, you can take whole college courses on the thoughts of these people, on these historical documents. And no one is going to say, well, we're not really sure that these are accurate. But compare that with the life of Christ. You have accounts of Christ's life written just decades after he died. Not centuries. So you have people sitting down and writing these things just decades after he died. People who were there. Remember Julius Caesar, it's a historian writing about what he heard that someone else saw. We have people writing down, like Peter, eyewitnesses to what they saw. In fact, when you look at the New Testament, the New Testament, you've got a fragment of the New Testament written within 20 years from its original date. You've got whole books of the Bible within 100 years from the time of the originals being written. You've got most of the New Testament in less than 200 years. You've got the entire New Testament within 250 years of the last book being written. Not thousands, not 1,400, not 1,000, 
not even 500. You've got all the books that we've got, all of them, within 250 years. I mean, combined together within 250 years of when these events took place. And copies? We have over 5,600 copies of those books that exploded across the world. And that's just direct copies. The gospel so exploded on the stage in the early centuries that it's littered with people quoting the Bible. In fact, there are over 86,000 quotations of the New Testament in the first century, uh, first centuries of the church by the church fathers and, and in church liturgy books, over 86,000 quotes of the New Testament. In fact, there are enough quotations from, from other people, from church fathers and, and church books that, that even if you didn't have a single copy of the Bible, you could still reconstruct all but 11 verses of the New Testament from material written just within the first 150 to 200 years of the death of Christ. And somehow, it's the Bible that's considered a myth. And somehow, it's the Bible that's considered unreliable. And somehow, it's the Bible that's considered man-made. You don't hear people saying, that idiot believes in Julius Caesar. You don't. Why? Because again, what do we know? It's not actually about wanting to know the truth. It's not about that. It's about a fool in his folly. And they can see those things, they can know those things, and yet they hate the truth. But the Bible isn't shocked that people would consider it merely the words of man. It's been, it's been that way since the beginning. So Peter takes up the challenge and says, okay, here's when it happened, here's who saw it, now go and ask them. And the disciples, they all said the same thing. And they all believed it so much that every single one of those disciples died with the same story on their lips. Every one of those eyewitnesses, not a single one of them said, all right, we made it up. All right, we made it up. It's not true. None of them. So Peter wants the churches to know. He wants them to know Christ is coming. He's coming again. He's coming in power. We didn't make that up. We were there. We were there with him, as he's going to say next week, on that holy mountain. We saw it. So next week, that's what we'll see. We'll see what they were eyewitness to. We'll see that they already had enough to believe, even without eyewitnesses, that the Bible is going to say, you don't even need eyewitnesses to know that this is true. And we're going to see what we should do with the Bible ourselves. But this week, what can we think about? One, that first question that Peter mentioned. And he says, we didn't follow cleverly uh, devised myths. In your life, what are you following? This is what I want us to think about. What, you're on the road based on something. You're following some map. Are you following the Bible? Is that what you're trailing after? And I think it's good to, in terms of picturing our life, the Bible isn't supposed to be a bumper sticker on the back of your car. The Bible is supposed to thing, be the thing at the front. The Bible should be your pace car, the lead vehicle to your life. It should be what you're following. And so when you look at your life, could you not just say, do you believe the Bible? But could you say, I follow it. It shapes my life. It directs where I go. 
we're going to see next week that Peter's going to say that very much better be what you do in this, in this dark age. The other thing is the return of Christ is not a myth. Christ is coming again. That's not some man-made story. Christ is coming back and he's coming back in power. How will your life change if that's what you believe? What confidence can you have? I mean, we look in this world and, and there are various ebbs and flows of the kingdom. Booms here, slacks there, wanes there, plateaus there. There's great confidence for believers to know Christ is coming back and he's coming back in power. And then the last thing, remember the Bible is true. And the Bible is not just true, the Bible is truth. And, and the Bible is not afraid to say that and it's not afraid to let you test that. And neither should you be. Don't be afraid that, well, what, what am I believing in? Are people going to laugh at me because I believe the Bible? You can laugh at them because you know what? They know the Bible's true too. They know it too. And you can, you can laugh and you can really just feel sorry for them because their hearts are so dead, so hard, that they'll deny what they even know to be true. Let's make sure we believe that even more than they do. Let's pray.